Good morning. We are grateful that you are here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church, and uh, I'm Associate Pastor Ted Williams, and I am pinch hitting for uh, Pastor Craig. Uh, I lied in the first service, so I will confess to you. I told them that Pastor Craig had sent me a text and that he was most likely not going to be here, and he showed up. So he, uh, that tells you of the level of confidence and trust that he has in me this morning as he is here peeping through the glasses in the back. So, uh, but we do want to continue to be praying for him uh, in his recovery as he is recovering from his second hand surgery. So he had his dominant hand, his right hand uh, operated on on Thursday uh, for carpal tunnel surgery. His left, uh, his, his right hand, his left hand is recovering uh, uh, still. So pray that both will recover well and that he will be back uh, to full speed and full strength as we get into the new year. Uh, I want to uh, ask you and encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 6, and we're going to read through verse 15. Turn there and follow along as we read God's Word. But this I say... He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that your word is life to us as your children and as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray this morning that you would give us very sensitive hearts to hear what you would desire to communicate to each one of us individually. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that speaks personally to us. And I pray that you would do that today. Father, I pray you would be pleased to work in our midst. And Father, we will commit and promise to give you glory and honor for how you choose to work during this time. In Christ's name, amen. 
Now, I realize some of you turn to the passage in 2 Corinthians, and as you turned there, you began to remember. As you looked there, because I know some of you in the margins, you have written there that back in October that Ted preached from this same passage. And you're saying, wait a minute, the entire Bible and you come back to the same passage the next time that you're given the opportunity to preach? It may be a while before you get to preach again, Ted. I, I realize the risk, okay? But there is an extremely important message. And when I preached from this passage back at, uh, in October, I told Pastor Craig, I said, there's a really good Christmas message in this passage. And I said, you know, sometime I'd love to preach it. He didn't know at that time he was having surgery. Uh, but uh, I'm very grateful for the opportunity for us to share this with you and see what God has to reveal to us this morning. Previously, when we looked at this passage, much of our focus was on, cha uh, was on verse 8 from this passage. And when we looked at it, we saw that because God is able to cause His grace to abound, we are sure to have all we need to overflow and abound in doing the work God has given us. Today we're going to look at a more full look at this entire passage. But before we do that, I want to set the stage for it, and I want us to actually look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the final chapter of the first letter to the church at Corinth. In this chapter, Paul challenges and lays out before the church a need, an opportunity to assist. He tells them about the need that is in Jerusalem at the time with the saints there that are being persecuted that are, have lost many things, much of what they have because of their faith in Christ. And he has challenged them that they have an opportunity to be a partner with them and that he's going to be coming and that when he comes, he wants them to be prepared to give. He does not want them to be ill-prepared and does not want them to be ignorant of this need and opportunity that they're going to have. Well, now, let's fast forward to chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. Now, when we come to this, we see that Paul is reminding the church that there is this great need that is in there with the Christians there in Jerusalem. But as any good teacher, coach, or leader does, he takes and gives them an example. He takes and lays out before them an example of others and what they've done and how they've performed to be a challenge before the church at Corinth. Now, we do this ourselves as parents. Maybe you do it as a grandparent, where you lay out an example for a son or a daughter or a niece or a nephew, and you point to someone and you say, you know, here's somebody that you, you might want to emulate them. You might want to take and look at their characteristics and and you want to you follow in 
some of their steps of how they behave, how they deal with this situation, how they conduct themselves. We, you know, we do that at our house. We have done that with individuals, you know, such as Tim Tebow, having two boys that love sports. You know, we oftentimes, we will, will tell them, you know, the, this, is, this is an example. This is how he conducted himself in this situation. And it's, it's by learning by those examples. Well, Paul does that with the church here in Corinth as he gives them an example because he wants them to come to understand the great joy of giving. That joyful giving can be theirs. So here we're going to look at the examples of joyful giving that we see in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. Now, the first example he gives, he talks about the Macedonian churches. Now, the Macedonian area, which included places that you know of, like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, those churches that made up this region of Macedonia, it was a very different region from Corinth. Corinth was a much more affluent area, not so much in these other areas. These were areas that had much less means and had a greater level of poverty. But Paul uses their behavior and example to challenge the Corinthians. He says this in chapter 8. He says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abound in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministry of the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So here, these believers, this first century church, who themselves were experiencing struggles and challenges, are an example of sharing, of giving to the others liberally and even beyond what their ability appeared that they could have the capacity to do. In this, the scriptures, we're confronted and we understand that as the Macedonian believers, as they gave generously, that they also experienced joy in their giving. He tells us the abundance of their joy, the abundance of their joy in the opportunity to give was so evident. He uses their example to challenge the church at Corinth. As powerful as that example is of those who were in great need sharing with others who have great needs or greater needs, that example 
pales when we come to the end of this passage and when we come and we look in verse 9. When we see in verse 9 of chapter 8, we see this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Never, never has there been anyone who gave up as much as Jesus did when he stepped out of his glorious position in heaven and when he stepped into this world, coming into this world in the same form and in the same manner as every one of us. To be born in a stable, to be laid in a manger, and the entire time to be fully God. Truly the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word that spoke everything into existence had entered into humanity. Giving up all the splendor of his heaven. Truly the rich became poor. This is just another example of that great exchange. You've heard Pastor Craig talk about the great exchange. Where Christ having all righteousness, being all holy, stepped into earth. To take our sin, our filth, our mistakes and mess-ups, and to exchange that to us as righteousness and to give us His righteousness. Truly, the rich became poor that the poor might become rich. And my friends, we are the ones who were poor. We are the ones who stood, and some, even in this room this morning, still stand in need of the riches of heaven, of salvation, the exchange of our filthy rags for His glorious righteousness. As we look at that great gift of Christ stepping into this world. We celebrate it this season. I agree with the words of John MacArthur when he said this. We as believers are never more like God than when we give. We believers are never more like God than when we give. Hebrews 12.2 tells us this, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So we have two great examples of joyful giving. But God doesn't leave us just with the example 
to give joyfully. He also goes on to tell us about the benefits and the blessings of giving. The benefits of joyful giving. Acts 20, 35. Paul records the words of Jesus with this. When he says these simple words, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, as we approach this passage and as we dive in to chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, I must tell you that some scholars and some preachers have had some hesitation as they look into these passages. Much of this is the result and pushback of abuses from other teachers and preachers, motivational speakers, and in some entire movements within and under the umbrella of Christianity. As some have used these promises as a license to promote earthly prosperity, opulent living at the expense and the detriment of some of the weakest and most vulnerable individuals in our society. It's my prayer that as we look into this scripture that we can rightly perceive and understand the benefits that God has for us as we participate in joyful giving. The first benefit that we see that God has for the joyful giver is a special love. Understand, we know this, that throughout Scripture, the Bible is filled with the story of God's great love for mankind. We see it as an example in Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. Or Romans 5, 8, when Paul says, But God, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. However, when you look at each of those passages, you see this is a love that is in response to nothing that we have done. We bring nothing to the table. It is God lavishing his love on us as his creation. And we have brought nothing. However, in this passage, when we look at verse 7, we see that God's love is in response to the believer's action. The action of giving cheerfully. Read with me and look at verse 7. So let each one give as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves. God loves a cheerful giver. It's a love from God that is in response to our actions. You know, oftentimes, 
oftentimes we, as parents, we want to achieve a certain behavior in our children. And ideally, most of us as parents want that to be a heart behavior, being something where they're compelled. They want to do that. That's our desire. That's in our visions of grandeur as parents. That's what we would like to have happen. But there are times in our households, or at least in our household, where we'll just settle for obedience. We'll just take it if we can get it. And so we're just looking, okay, just get the desired behavior and then we'll go from there. That, that's not what God's looking for from us as believers. Here, he's looking at the heart of the giver. What type of heart do we bring when we bring our offering before God? As I thought about this, I, I thought about a little story about a little boy and a dad. I can relate to that. And being in a car, and they were in a rush. I can relate to that. And they were getting in the car, and they needed to get uh, gone in a hurry. They needed everybody to be buckled up. So as they got in the car, the little boy was just jumping around, and he was just full of life. And his dad asked him, sit down, buckle up. Told him to do it quickly. Told him again to do it quickly. And then, as you could imagine, the threats began to come behind that. Well, the little boy succumbed within himself to the threats of the consequences if he did not obey. So he buckled himself in somewhat begrudgingly, sat there just for a split second, and then he uttered these defining words to his dad. I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Now, I can relate to that. And as, I, as we look at what God desires for us as believers and for us in our obedience, God does not delight in that type of behavior from us as his children. He delights in us coming to him with a humble and willing heart that obeys out of great gratitude to the creator of the universe who desires to lavish on us great blessings and great benefits as we follow him in obedience. The issue with the lesson that we look at today of joyful giving is that it cuts so counterintuitive, counterculture, and counter to our nature that we would give cheerfully with great excitement and with great joy. Because our nature and our culture says that we are to grab and that we're to hold and we're to cling to everything because that's how we experience advancement. That's how we experience prosperity. But Jesus tells us in the parable 
of the foolish farmer who experienced a great harvest. He said, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. Jesus says that behavior and those actions are foolishness. But instead, Jesus wants us to hear the words of, the, of Proverbs 23, 4, and 5. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth, for wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle and flies toward the heavens. God has a very special love for those who give not out of duty, but out of a deep joy. He has a special love when we give joyfully. But also, this passage is filled with glorious promises that God has for those who grasp this truth. The glorious promises of joyful giving. The sower or the farmer, he finds that the harvest or the reward is proportional to his sowing. We see that in verse 6, that he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So what we must understand is that the giver's reward is proportional to how he gives. If the giver gives generously, then the promise from God is that the giver will be rewarded generously. Luke 9, 38 states it this way as Jesus is teaching the same principle. He says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. It is God's desire, it is God's plan to bless and to provide for his children. But let us understand that his blessings on us are not to be intended so that we can indulge ourselves, but it, it, we can in turn lavish those back in giving to God. Now as we look at our concept of giving and our understanding of giving, we value giving oftentimes incorrectly by valuing it based on the amount that is given. That therefore, a larger gift is greater than a smaller gift. That is not the truth that we see in Scripture. What we see in Scripture and that is taught by Jesus in Mark 12, we see there, we see Jesus sitting in the temple opposite the treasury. And he is witnessing those coming in, giving great and large offerings to the temple. But then, there's a little lady a poor widow that comes in and drops in two small copper coins. I would be willing to bet 
that that gift that day was the smallest gift that was given the entire day. But listen to what Jesus tells his disciples. He says, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box because they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. We must be very careful how we value the gift. We must be very careful how we value our gift. Because there is the temptation and the pitfall that if we have been given the opportunity to give a great sum, that we have pride, that we begin become to be filled with pride with the capacity or the ability that we have to perform. However, there is also the possibility that we could look at our gift and because of what our means are, that we would look at our gift and we would think that it is insignificant or inadequate before a holy and righteous God. Neither of these attitudes is the attitude of a joyful giver. God desires for us to give with a joyful heart that he can lavish on us his glorious promises, his glorious rewards in our lives. As we continue to look at this, I want you to look at verses 8 through 11. Paul continues this as he assures the giver that God is able, that he has the means to meet the needs and to provide the joyful giver to continue in joyful giving. Our human wisdom tells us that that can't be so. But the promise of God is that God rewards generous and joyful giving. But not for the purpose of us to indulge ourselves. God desires for our giving to be a fountain that we give and we are given. That we can give again. God does not desire for us to perceive that our giving, that we have a cistern that will run out. God desires for us to understand that in His great economy, that He desires to continue to replenish the joyful giver that they can continue to give. As He says... Here he says that we can be enriched in everything, equipped, equipping us for all liberality. This liberality is to give generously over and over and over. In addition to this promise, we also see two others. We see that we also have the opportunity as joyful givers that God would receive thanksgiving 
because of the generosity to others. That God would see, receive thanksgiving and he would also receive glory for our obedience. At the end of verses 11 and 12, we see that our generosity can cause thanksgiving to come back to God. As I read this and I thought about this over the past week, I was reminded of a letter that was laying on my desk over in our uh, administration house. And it's a letter that we received a couple weeks ago. It's from the Calvary Children's Home. They were here back in November, and we had the opportunity to send them back to Powder Springs with an entire box truck full of food, sent them with a generous offering, and they sent back a letter praising God for your generosity, giving thanks to God because you lavished on them the means that they could continue to minister to these boys and girls. They talked about how this would be food for them into the new year and how the resources that were provided, that they would be used for the kids and would be used for, with the house parents to continue their ministry. It's one example that we see of our generosity here in this place bringing thanksgiving and praise to God. But we must be very cautious and careful that any time that there is gratitude and thanksgiving for generous giving, that all the credit, all of the praise, all of the glory is given to God. We must understand that we are mere vessels and conduits that God can use. We must know that the attitude that we come to the altar with our offering, it reveals within us how we view God's nature to be. I would ask you this question today. Do you see God as a giver or do you see him as a taker? What's your picture of the God of the universe? Is he the great giver or is he a taker? I want us to know that God is faithful. He is faithful to fulfill and keep every one of his promises. That he is faithful to reward the joyful giver. Lastly, I want us to understand from this passage that when we give joyfully, that we are acting like God. We are in the likeness of God. So, the likeness to God that we demonstrate when we give, we know that that is contrary to what our nature is, but in that we are demonstrating the nature of God. The last verse in this passage, of verse 15, we see Paul states, Thanks be to God for his indescribable 
gift. As he closes out this challenge to the church at Corinth of the opportunity they have to help the saints in Jerusalem, he brings it back and he reminds them of the greatest gift that has ever been given. And it is the gift that inspires all other gifts. This Christmas season, as we exchange gifts, and as even unbelievers exchange gifts with one another, we all follow in the steps of the greatest gift ever given, which was Christ coming into this world in human form. As Isaiah said, for a child will be born, a son will be given. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We are truly never more like God than when we give. But let me tell you, we must also understand that until we have received the greatest gift into our lives and as we've experienced the gift of salvation and the forgiveness of our sins and been redeemed by faith in Jesus Christ that we can do nothing to earn but is a complete and total work of Christ then we cannot understand nor comprehend what it means to give generously to give joyfully because we've never experienced that transformation within our heart of a sinner being redeemed and transformed into a new creature by faith in Christ and by experiencing the greatest gift, Jesus Christ coming in to our lives. Our sermon and sentence this morning, joyful giving is the result of following God's example following God's greatest example of giving and of knowing that God promises to bless the giver. This morning, as we look expectantly towards Christmas, as we look forward to celebrating the great gift of Jesus, I pray that you are a receiver of his grace. I pray that you have experienced that great joy. And after and as a result of experiencing that, I pray that you know over and over the amazing joy, the amazing blessings and benefits of giving joyfully to a God whose fountain never runs dry. Of a God who is faithful to keep all of his promises, no matter how contrary they are to our intellect or our nature. I pray that you experience that. I pray that it is fresh 
And I pray that it is real to you this Christmas season. I pray with every gift that you open that it's a reminder of the greatest gift ever given being Jesus Christ as the Savior of all humanity. Let's pray.